values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Joining us right now, gubernatorial candidate, Republican Party, Carrie Lake. Carrie, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, let's talk about a couple of things that are outside, really, of, of the control of the governor of the state, but may, you may be able to impact. One is the border. The other is the economy. The Inflation Reduction Act, a big celebration yesterday by the White House, and Vice President Harris saying this week that the border is secure. Comments on either one of those two. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to laugh. Isn't she the border czar? Yes. I'd love to have her come down and see what I've seen, um, especially over the last year and a half on the border, and what we all know is reality. She's so out of touch, and, and truly, she and Joe Biden are the problem. In my opinion, they've caused this border crisis by carrying back a, a policy that was working brilliantly under President Trump. There's no reason they had to pull that back, Mike. They could have kept that in place. It was working. But I think they want this kind of chaos, and it's unfortunate. And I do have, we do have power under the U.S. Constitution. The Guarantee Clause, Article 4, Section 4, requires that the government obviously protect us and protect our borders. But when they're failing to do that, when there's a dereliction of duty, the remedy is right there in that same document, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. And we meet all of the criteria to start taking control and protecting our own people. We are in, there's an invasion, we are in imminent danger, and there's no time to delay. And we are going to enact and invoke our Article One powers as a state and take control of that border. And we're going to stop the fentanyl from pouring across. Right now, we are the pipeline for the deadliest drug this country's ever seen, pouring into our country, killing our young people at a record rate. The number one cause of death for 18 to 45-year-olds, that's our future. That's our young people is fentanyl poisoning. And we got to stop it here in Arizona. We need a bold, strong governor who will do that. My opponent is neither bold nor strong. She is too cowardice to show up for a debate, which is my, in my opinion, is a job interview. She doesn't care about the people of Arizona if she's not willing to show up and interview for the job. And how do you think if she can't handle me on a debate stage, she'll handle the cartels? Not very well. And she didn't show up, by the way, for the Democrat debate either. What was her excuse then? People are tired of Hobbes' excuses. They want action, and they want someone who is willing to lay out their plan for the future of this great state. I'm curious about something else that happened. Uh, she, uh, she made Katie Hobbs made a comment about going to a private school and said that she's against the voucher expansion of the, the program. And she said her parents sacrificed greatly for her to be able to go to a Catholic school, to a private school. And there are just a lot of families out there that can't afford even no matter how much they sacrifice that tuition. Where do you stand on the ESA expansion? Oh, I'm, I'm for it 100 percent. And to think that Katie Hobbs is trying to take that away from us. You know, we had a great accomplishment in the legislature and Governor Ducey signed that into law that that the money now follows the student and it gives people an opportunity to lift themselves up and truly get a great education. If they are in a, a school that's a failing school or that they simply don't like the curriculum or they just want to send their kids off to a private school but never in their wildest imagination would they ever be able to afford it. Now with this, they can't. And Hobbs wants to take that away. It's hypocrisy at an all new level. She herself went to a private school. I believe one of her children graduated from a charter school. And she wants to keep people trapped in schools that they don't want to be in, that are not churning out 
uh, kids with a great education. Frankly, Mike, I think this ESA expansion to all, all students is going to be the fastest way to fix our broken curriculum at many of our schools. When these schools start realizing that families don't want their kids going to those schools because they don't agree with the curriculum, which is many schools teaching them to hate our country, teaching inappropriate sex education, a bunch of nonsense to our kids, pretty soon they're going to have to, just like competition does, change course or they will lose more students. Fastest way to get change is when you start pulling people away and saying we're not going to that school, they're going to have to look inward and say how can we improve our product here. And I think it's the fastest way to get great curriculum. And then when I'm governor, we're going to go a step further and start with a dual track education after 10th grade. So our kids can, if they don't want to go onto a four-year uh, college, they can get skills training, vocational training, and career certification right there in high school. So they're ready right out of high school to take on high-paying jobs. Yeah, and you and I have talked about this quite a bit. The CTEDs, uh, EVIT, the West, uh, West Mech in the West Valley, um, these uh, giving kids an opportunity at a different career path. And many of these kids are graduating from high school and completing these training programs and going into very high-paying jobs with all that, without, without all of that student debt. Oh, absolutely. And I, I always use the example down in the Vail School District, their welding program. First of all, I was able to go and tour their vocational training that they put on in their school. And the kids are so happy. You know, how many times did you remember as a kid just kind of sitting there in a class, just droning oh. out as the teacher was, um, you know, droning on <laughs> in a lecture? Yeah. I say this with my dad being a teacher, and I remember sitting in his class occasionally because I had him as a teacher in high school, and he would drone on a bit. These kids were absolutely engaged. They knew they were learning a skill that they would be able to use the rest of their lives. And every single one of them, 100% of those students, graduates with a job offer making seventy dollars to $100,000 with full benefits. Those are the kids that will be able to achieve the American dream. And we've been kind of explaining and telling our kids they have to go to college to get a good job and have the American dream. In many cases, that is an absolute lie. These kids are coming out with no degree because they quit and they have a, a mountain of debt and they can uh, never climb out from that and achieve the American dream. So my last question is about the economy. Uh, the Phoenix area, 13% highest in the nation in inflation. As governor, is there anything the governor, the governor and the legislature can do to ease inflation? Or what do we do in Arizona to try to make it better for families that are getting more money, but they just can't keep up with inflation? Well, I mean, 13% increase is huge. How many people out there got, um, I, I was talking to an economist a couple weeks ago, and this is before this report came out, and he said, to keep up with Joe Biden's inflation a couple weeks ago, you would have needed to get a $9,000 raise. I don't know anybody who's getting raises like that. Mm -hmm. Now it's even worse. And here we have a unique problem. Um, mo most of this inflation is, is because of our um, lack of housing and increased housing costs. And so we need to build homes and we need to build them quickly and help get people in those homes. And we'll do whatever we can to help pull back some of the regulations so that builders can actually get the shovel in the ground without it taking, you know, five years. Um, but we, we've got to get homes built quickly. I would love to see the repeal of the rental tax. You shouldn't have to pay taxes on things that are absolute necessities. You've got to have a roof over your head. That's a necessity, and we should repeal the rental tax. That would help people when it comes to their rent. I'd like to repeal the food tax. 
But you know what, Mike? We can repeal taxes everywhere. And with inflation growing this fast, we can still feel like we're underwater. So frankly, we have to vote Joe Biden and the Democrats and their dismal economic policies out of office everywhere. And we definitely need to make sure that Katie Hobbs, who really is like a a Joe Biden in a draft, does not make it anywhere near the governor's office or those same policies they have in California, which have driven that state into the ground. And, and as bad as it is over there, they still want to raise people's taxes. She'll bring those policies to Arizona, and we won't recognize the place. Carrie, if people want to learn more about the campaign, how do they find you? They can go to carrylake.com, K-A-R-I-L-A-K-E.com. And I encourage you to go to the issues page. I lay out where I stand on every single issue. I've got my border policy there. I've got my policy to tackle chronic street homelessness and finally restore quality of life for the hardworking people of Arizona. My education policy is there. I've got um, the policy to restore our medical privacy and freedom. And you name it. I, I talk about where I stand on every issue in detail. So there's no question where I stand. And I believe that all Arizonans, Democrat, independent and Republican alike, can look at these policies and recognize that they would make life better here in the great state of Arizona. Always a pleasure, Carrie. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. You too. That's Carrie Lake, candidate for governor. Go to her website. You can go to KTAR.com slash Arizona votes to learn more about candidates. Coming up in a moment, we talk about the border crisis specifically. That's right around the corner. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks again for being here. The border issue is one that's not going away. There are a couple of headlines here. Um, a Minnesota man's been sentenced to life in prison for 11 fentanyl deaths, as we just heard with, uh, we were talking with Kerry Lake, who's a candidate for governor. Uh, we are the pipeline here in Arizona. This is so multifaceted. This is, the old debate about the border was you were either xenophobic and didn't want immigration or you are an open borders person. And it's much more nuanced than that for so many people, myself included. I am a huge supporter and advocate for legal immigration. I, I think it's the lifeblood of the country. Um, I think we could use a temporary workforce in many cases, and we still do. We have visas for people. We could expand that in many ways and take the pressure off the border for good people that want to come here and work and let law enforcement focus on the people that are bringing drugs and guns and crime into our country. Uh, the human traffickers need to be stopped. I I think all of that needs to happen, and it could if we had a comprehensive approach to this. But anybody that thinks that this is as simple as get out of my country, shut the door, is not paying attention to what's happening. And anybody who believes that what is happening now is a more humane treatment of people is not paying attention either. People that are crossing our border are treated as cargo, not even cattle. We treat cattle better. I mean as cargo. It is like a pallet falling off the back of a truck. No one cares. Keep on driving. And people are dying. Over 750 people have died either in the desert or trying to cross the Rio Grande. It's a record year for deaths in our desert here in Arizona and well, I should say on the border across the southern border. And we as a uh, as a nation should be speaking up and saying that this has to change. So let's go with the two narratives. One is um, this administration was going to fix how horrible the treatment was under the previous administration. So let's go with that narrative for a moment. Let's say that the way it was handled by the previous administration was the wrong way. 
for the sake of argument, it was the wrong way. This is no better. You mean to tell me that there's not an option C? There's not another option out there that our government can look at and say we have to stem the flow of people so that we can stem the flow of fentanyl and other drugs that are coming. We have to fix our immigration system. It can't be done. Are you telling me that after everything we've seen and the decades we've been arguing about the United States southern border, that it has now been deemed the most dangerous land crossing in the world? We ought to be not just embarrassed, we ought to be ashamed of that as Americans, that this has become the most dangerous land crossing. Now, I blame the policies of the Biden administration for much of this because the policy changes that are the encouragement of people to come here. I believe that to be true. But we've got to hold our entire government accountable here. That's Republicans and Democrats. You know, the the idea that they can't work together or shouldn't work together and the base of each party gets angry when it happens. You know, Kirsten Sinema gets sanctioned or gets censured by her party for working across the aisle. Um, And when that happens, her party is saying to her, we're going to primary you and get you out of office because you work with the Republicans too much. At what point do both parties have to sit down and say, this border issue needs to be settled one way or another? We've got to stop the flow. No one party is going to get everything they want, and no, neither party has to concede their morals or their values to get something done. When do they sit down and do it? Well, they only do that when they know that the American people are fed up. We hold all the power. The entire House of Representatives could be changed every two years, uh, one-third of the Senate every two years, and the presidency every four years. That's the power we have. When we start saying to the elected leaders, enough is enough, not just yelling at Democrats as Republicans or yelling at Republicans as Democrats, yelling at our government that you are inefficient and ineffective, and we are going to elect people that will be effective. And people are clamoring for it, and people are dying. I think it's time we do something. Matter of fact, I know it's time we do something. We're going to talk about the Arizona economy. What is happening here to the people of Arizona? Yes, 13% inflation. What else is concern, concerning when it comes to the average Arizonan's economy? That's coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, how is the local economy being affected by what's happening nationally? Metro Phoenix inflation rises again. It remains the highest in the nation at 13%. So just a few specifics about this. The Phoenix, Mesa, Scottsdale area led all major cities with 13% inflation over the past 12 months, followed by Atlanta at 11.7 and 11.2 in the areas around Tampa, Florida. Then Miami and Baltimore rounded out the top five. Nationally, inflation ran at 8.3%. But specifically, Specifically, the things that are happening here, uh, rent is rising at the fastest pace in 40 years. Uh, part of it is a demand issue, as we've talked about before. Now, with the cooling of the housing market, that may change a little bit because people that were renting and saving to buy a home were priced out of the housing market. Here's the balance, though. This is where the federal government has to be very careful here. The Fed has got to be, they're saying that there could be devastating effects in housing, depending on what happens with interest rates overall, because if you raise interest rates and it eventually trickles into mortgage rates, um, 
when you raise interest rates, you raise people's payments. So you know that you're qualified to buy a home based on your debt to income ratio. And it tells them your ability to make the payment. So when they factor in how much money you want to borrow versus how much money you make, they factor in the interest on that mortgage because you're going to pay. That's going to increase the payment. So housing prices may cool off a little bit. But if interest rates are going up, is it really helping people get into a home? That's a big question for people. And that's going to be that's going to be a tipping point here as well. Are you going to see a cooling in the housing market? Not because people aren't making more money, but because the interest rates have, have ticked up enough where it's pricing people out. You're buying less home for the dollar because the interest rates are higher. That's part of it. It's a demand issue. So people are staying in rental properties longer because they're not able to buy. So there is a glut of people that are looking for rental properties. In August, Bank of America Institute said rent increases were seen across all income groups, but middle income and younger Americans saw the largest increase. For consumers with an annual household income of $51,000 to $100,000, median rent payments soared by 8.3% year over year in July. The lowest income group of $50,000 and less saw a 7.4% increase, and the data also shows those making more than $251,000 a year saw the smallest increase at 5.9%. So the reality of what is happening And it's multifaceted, but the reality of what's happening here locally is we have got the highest um, rate of of uh, of inflation in the entire country, even though gas prices have dropped over the 92 days in a row or something. And the reason why that's happening is we see food costs continue to climb and the cost of shelter. This is, for me, one of the biggest and scariest issues. I can't imagine this, you know, and I and it must have gone through growing up, you know, like I did. Um, in my teen years, when my mom was a single mom, there must have been fear at many times. And I've never really even talked to her about this, but there had to be there had to be times where she was fearful of being homeless with us. And if this kind of situation had happened instead of what was going on in the 80s, which we were seeing a huge turnaround and a driving down of interest rates. And my mom didn't own a home, but um, the the economy was booming. When I entered the trade as an electrician in 1985, um, there was this huge housing boom that was going on in southwest Florida. So I kind of rode that wave as an electrician into my trade. I moved here in 1995 when this economy was starting to really blossom and I was able to ride that wave. There was nothing, I was lucky. I mean, let's be honest. I was I was right place, right time in my career. But there had to be times for my mom as a single mom, low income, that she was fearful of not having a place to live. I cannot think of a bigger fear for a parent than to have their children be homeless. And the lower income groups here are the ones that are being affected now that's not the highest rate of increase, but a seven and a half percent increase on your rent when you're making less than $50,000 a year as a household is dramatic. It is dramatic. So we've got to do something. We've got to be active in how we solve this the supply problem. There are a lot of things that can be done from zoning and from you know all the over regulating of things, uh, which I've talked about a, a lot of time for a long time. 
And some cities have done a much better job than they have in the past. But there's county regulations, there's city regulations, there's state regulations, there's EPA regulations, and you got to hire architects, and you got to hire engineers, and you've got to hire people to all get in a room, and it satisfies one, but it violates the other. And how do we get this done? And what's the impact report say? And five years later, you haven't done anything yet. We've got to be able to expedite these projects. We can expedite this process without sacrificing quality. It can be done. It just needs to be done. We have to have the labor force to do the work. We have to have people in the labor force, qualified labor, that wants to do the job that goes out there and does these jobs. And that is a burden because you, you realize that where we are in the proximity to other very fast-growing areas, Las Vegas is growing very quickly, just like we are. And if they are paying more money in Las Vegas, significantly more money in Las Vegas, it's only a five-hour drive. You're going to see a lot of people in Arizona go make the jump for a while to go make some money. So we've got to look at all of this of how do we get a labor force here? You know, I talked about a guest worker program. But if we don't solve this housing issue, and this is not a quick fix, you're not going to solve this in one year. But this is going to be a, a problem that sustains for a very long time unless we address this in a comprehensive way as a state that we need to figure out how we get the labor force here to build the homes we need to ease this pressure on renters and we'll see i'm anxious to see how we do um and we better get on it and it's becoming worse and worse and i don't want to see you know when you talk about middle income people and young people just starting their lives facing homelessness or rent that they can't afford to do anything else but pay rent it's terrifying absolutely terrifying is america ready to move on from both President Biden and former President Trump. One survey says yes to both. We'll talk about the details of that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. A quick reminder, Grammy Award-winning artist Michael Buble is headed to the Footprint Center September 20th for his brand-new Hire Tour. Limited tickets are still available, but you could win a pair by visiting the contest page over at KTAR.com. Most Americans don't want either Trump or Biden to run in 2024. This according to a survey that was done by Harvard University in Caps. So it's a Harvard Caps Harris poll. Um, There's 1,885 registered voters between September 7th and September 8th um, is when this poll was done. Interesting. Two-thirds of the voters surveyed, 67% said that President Biden should not seek another term in the Oval Office. Nearly half of those people citing their belief that he's a bad president. Another 30% said it's simply because he would be 84 years old at the time he took the oath of office. Meanwhile, um, 57%, so 10% less, but still over half, 57% said that former President Trump should not amount another bid for the White House. Um, they believe that it's that time is over. So what does this mean? Um, I will tell you, for me... Uh, I don't I don't mind the heat that I take when you do something that's very um, open in the public. You're going to have to take criticism. I like it, actually. I, I like the debate with people. Um, social media gets a little ugly with the anonymous trolls, but even they're fun to have, you know, poke fun at. Um, 
You just don't take it seriously. It's not a real place. Twitter is not a real place. None of those people have any effect on my life whatsoever. So it's fun to engage. I like the engagement in the conversation. But I learned a long time ago, the hard way many, many times, but I learned a long time ago, you hold on to a set of ideals, Now, you don't have to agree with mine, and I don't have to agree with yours, but I adhere to a set of ideals when it comes to the people that I vote for, when it comes to an election, for the people that I support. Um, I have only ever given money to two political campaigns, and it was for the same person. I donated twice to Senator John Kyle's campaigns. Uh, The only time I've ever donated money to a campaign. Um, And now doing the job that I'm doing, I won't. I won't. I just. I don't think it's the right thing to do if I want to be fair to all the candidates to donate to one, or, you know, and not the other. So I, I. That's my way. But I do donate my time um, to a lot of different causes and events and candidate forums and debates. I think that's an important thing to be able to do. But I adhere to a set of ideals, and when somebody that I like and support steps outside of that, I don't dislike them for it, but I call them out for stepping outside of what I believe are the ideals that I support. And I will say, I don't support that. I disagree with that. And I think that's what makes us better. But when we get latched on to a person, when you have, uh, they called it Trump derangement syndrome, the people that absolutely despise and hate Donald Trump. That's just as bad as the people that are blind followers. The people that say that President Trump can do no wrong and the president, people that say that President Trump can do no right are just opposite sides of the same coin. So everyone you support, I have mentioned many times before, the only relationship I've ever had with the president of the United States is I've gotten to meet George W. Bush on a number of occasions and had a couple of conversations with him. Um, so, But I was invested in his 2004 campaign for president. I believed he was a far better candidate than John Kerry, and I admire him. I think he's a good man. Um, I disagreed with a lot in his presidency. I didn't like the way it ended like many people didn't. I've talked before about my close relationship with John McCain. Uh, As a human being, John McCain was very, very good to me. I think he is the most recognizable name in American politics. I admired him as a human being. We would argue, and that's one of the things I like the most about him, is he treated me like a colleague. He would argue and debate me as if my opinion mattered. But we argued about a lot of places where we disagreed. On the other side of that, there are people that I largely disagree with on issues that I can find common ground with when we have a conversation. And that's when you stick to a set of ideals. I can tell you that you are wrong without calling you stupid. I can even say that's a dumb idea without calling you dumb. So are the American people shifting their ideology? What's interesting about this poll is given a head-to-head option with having Trump and Biden facing each other for the presidency, more than half the people in this poll said they would look to support, not necessarily would support, but they would give thought to supporting a moderate, independent candidate. So at least in this small sampling of people, there is a set of ideologies out there, and we're not always going to agree on those, but people are not – I don't think that in this day and age where you, we know everything about everyone and social media, nothing is private. You can't keep anything to yourself. There are so many people – that are ready to move in a different direction. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just making the observation. 
You know, when President Trump was in office, I voted for him twice. I got, I'm never going to shy away from that. I thought he was a much better option than Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton. And I like a lot of the policies and the things that he wanted to do as president of the United States. But when I did disagree with him, the things he said or the way he said it or whatever else, I had no problem saying I disagree with that. I'm not shifting my ideals and I'm not shifting my vote. I'm saying I like this. I don't like that. That's adhering to ideals and not hanging on to people. And when when it's expected that you're in lockstep follower mode and anybody, with the exception of Jesus, we'll say Jesus, we should follow blindly. I'll, I'll, I'll throw that in there. But politically speaking, when we blindly follow people, we get ourselves in political trouble because everybody is fallible. Nobody is perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Even Reagan made mistakes. Even Reagan. Coming up after 10 o'clock, rise in crime. We are going to talk about the rise in crime across the country, especially here in the Valley.